0: How are you guys doing? I'm good. I'm good. I apologize if the mic drops a little bit. Um, I normally like to have some contraption attached to my ear, uh, but we just couldn't get it to work today. (laughs) All right. So you're going to have to settle. If I am too quiet, Mino has already said he's going to raise the volume. And um, I don't think I'm ever too quiet, but you never know, right? All right. So, it has been almost one year since I've been up here. It, 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 it really has. And um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, but it's literally been a year. And I was just really curious. So, I went back in my notes, and I believe next week would be the marker for a year. So, that's why I say almost a year. And uh, since then, many things have happened. Many life events, many changes. Um, one of the biggest being, as all of you probably know, is the birth of my son, right? Oh, yeah. He's exciting. That's what he does every morning at 5 a.m. Uh, yeah, right? So, the, the birth of my son, and it's just been amazing to watch him grow. And, and I love him so much, but it's comforting and yet a little bit surreal to know that someone else has the capacity and the ability to love him more. Insane to me. I started to think, how awesome is it for us as a community to know that regardless of Elijah's future choices, regardless of this upcoming generation's future choices, that God's love for him and them will never waver. Even if Elijah's love for God is non-existent. These past few months, I've been introduced to a new way of of interpreting the scriptures. It could be as a result of these life events. It could be God kicking me in the pants. Um, But it's a different layer of God's magnificence. And it comes by the way of being counterintuitive. Counterintuitive is defined as contrary to intuition or contrary to common sense. As I prepared for today's message, I took the time to reflect on our church, the work that God is doing, the work that Pastor Franklin is doing the new um, life that has been injected. I took the time to reflect on our congregation and the people that attend and come to church. And naturally, I took the time to reflect on my own personal walk with God. This brought me to what may seem as an obvious conclusion, one that I will share with you right now. The conclusion that God does things differently. He's not like us. What we may chalk up to being common sense is actually senseless to God. He is a no-box God. Not that he lives outside the box, but the very existence of a box does not exist to him. And in him... Being a no-box God, I came to the realization that we as humans, as believers, are trained by culture. Call it Christian culture, call it worldly culture. We are trained by culture, by our communities, by, the, by history and tradition to color and dance within our lines. To color and dance within our box. To keep our place in society. I came to the realization that we actually prefer to sit within our borders, to be comfortable and to be safe. Unwilling to break free from a box that traps us because we're used to it. We're confident in it. We know it. We've been here all our lives. Why go out anywhere else? Today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians and see how we as followers can fulfill Christ's commission by expanding the kingdom of God. This has been something that I've always been curious about. You know, Christ said, go and make followers, go and make disciples of nations, of men and women, of children, of entire generations. And I always thought, how? I'm so small. I'm one person. How? Not only that, my personality doesn't really lend to public speaking, believe it or not. I'm not a fan of it. I'll leave that up to Adam. He does it way better. You guys are thinking, well, why isn't he up there then, you know, right? Uh, take it up with him, <laughs> all right? But, but, but really, I start to think that my personality doesn't lend to making disciples of, uh, of nations. That's not me. I'm uncomfortable walking up to strangers I don't know, let alone introducing them to a God they don't know. Or maybe to a God that the world says, You're an idiot to be following and believing that nonsense. It's really difficult to do. I don't like putting myself in situations where I'm going to get chastised. I'm not a fan of conflict. So I tend to not do it. And let the people who are a fan of conflict go and do it. The good news, I think, is that there's only three steps and with each step we master, the next step becomes a little easier. And First Corinthians chapter one is going to tell us this. The bad news is it depends on you. Um, everyone's different. Everyone has a different personality. Everyone has their own things, their own hangups, their own baggage. Their it's different. Everyone has the things they're willing to let go and the things that they're unwilling to let go. Everyone has the place that belongs to God and the place that doesn't. We tend to sing with all my heart, you know, I give it over to you. But the reality is with all, some of my heart, I give it over to you. The rest of it, you got to let it go, God. (laughs) You know, forgiveness is present. Grace, oh, almighty grace, thank you for it. I can only give you now 20% of my life because We believe that the grace covers the other 80%. I'm not saying it doesn't, but God said, Go make disciples. He needs all of you. All right? So, from this message, my hope is that we as a church can draw a foundational conclusion from Paul's letter, which will hopefully help us engage God. It will recalibrate our loyalties. And in the process, provide a fresh new perspective on sharing God's word with the world. All right. After all, looking at the Great Commission, I believe it's up there. Oh, that's not it. Um, is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Today we're going to focus on, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So let's get started with the first step, which takes us to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your phones, feel free to go there. Scripture will be up as we read it. The first part of Paul's letter includes the various niceties that often take place in his letters to the various churches. He expresses his thankfulness to God for confirming the testimony of Christ by the way the church represented themselves to the people around them. Let me repeat that. He is thankful to God for the, the living testimony of Christ By the way the church represented him. Starting in verse 4, it says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in him. In all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. This word enriched, subtle yet powerful, means that they were augmented in him. What a cool word. Say augmented. Doesn't that flow really well? That, you were, that, that if you are enriched by God, you are augmented by God. You see, when God created you, he didn't create imperfect. He created the best. However, it's our lives, it's our choices, it's the things that we do that augmented us. So to be enriched by God, God is almost re-augmenting back to his original plan. Another word is God developed, he enhanced and deepened the very lives of those who sought after him. So the question at hand is how can we as a church, as followers of Christ, be enriched by God? How do we do this? You see, God doesn't enrich from the outside. He is not an exterior facade enricher. He starts from within. Revelation chapter 3, 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. It doesn't say, I will surround you. It says, I will enter you. To be enriched by God, you have to be willing to open the door. You have to be willing to take a seat at his table. You have to be willing to be different, to be unusual, to step outside of your box. To be enriched by God would mean to give up the pitfalls that we love, the things, the guilty pleasures of our heart. To be enriched means to put down the flags or the banners we wave and to choose him, over our own beliefs. Think about that. To choose him over our own beliefs. You see, in order to be enriched by God, you must be willing to step out of your own way so that he can begin to impact, influence, and teach you a new way of living, a new way of thinking, and breathing the gospel. And it's through this augmentation that the very way you speak and think will be different. That acquisition of knowledge that you have obtained over the years will change. Not that facts will change, but the perception of those facts through scripture will change. And you will no longer represent worldly views, but rather those of Jesus Christ. Making you the confirmation of Christ's teaching to all those who get to know you. So the first step to making disciples of nations, to fulfilling this calling, this commandment, this this direction that Christ provided is for you to be enriched by God. Moving on, verse 10. It says, Now I exhort you, I encourage you, brothers, my name by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For I have informed for I've been informed concerning you my brothers by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you now. Chloe's people, man, they tattletales. All right, snitches. You know, they went and told Paul about all the stuff that's going on. That church must be so upset. I don't even know why Paul mentioned that. But he was like, hey, Chloe's people told me, you know, don't, don't lie to me. They came out there, they visited you, and they just heard all kinds of stuff. Now, it may not have been very obvious, because apparently, to the external world, these guys were representing Christ well. But internally, there were divisions. There were things that were being said, and there were sides that were being taken, that there was, there was stuff being wedged between relationships and between people and between theology and between ideology and between who loves who and all of that stuff. And so Chloe's people, this a friend of the church, a friend of the people came through and said, What's going on? And I wonder Chloe's people probably try to say, hey guys, like stop it. Like what are you doing? But they didn't listen. They probably got mad at Chloe's people. But because Chloe's people maybe loved this church so much, they went to the person that would impact and influence them. They were like, hey, Papa Paul, man, that Corinthian church, bruh. There, you got to handle it today. You know? Paul's here in prison like, man, you couldn't handle this. Like, All right, give me a pen and paper. Let's go. I write these guys a little note, right All right. So Chloe's people point to the fact that there are quarrels among this church, among you, among us. Don't point the finger be like, "Oh, that church, no, I'm talking about us today, too. If you don't think we're divided, man, come talk to me, see me after church. And I guarantee you I say something that'll divide us, right? So that there are quarrels among you. Verse 12, here, check this out. Now what I mean, Paul is saying, let, let, let me be perfectly clear. Now what I mean is this, that each of you is saying, I am of Republicans and I am of Democrats. I am of pro-choice and I am of pro-life. And, oh, hold up, sorry. No, not sure what happened. I think my notes were referencing today's date and not biblical times. Let's bring it back. Verse 12. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? What a question. Here we come together and talk and hang out, and, and, and you're saying, well, I'm of this grouping, and I'm of that ideology, and I'm of this people, and this person brought me to Christ, though. So what they're saying is, is correct. And Paul's like, what? Since when has Christ been divided? Ever. And then he goes on to say, well, Paul was Paul crucified for you? Or, or you must have been baptized in the name of Paul. And Paul, he's not happy. He doesn't get it. Often we need to remember that from the people we we follow. I start to think, Paul was not crucified crucified for you, neither was Trump. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul or possibly the name of Obama? You see how those two names automatically divide us. I can feel it in this room. So political. Since when has God ever been political? I thank God. Verse 14. Paul is just. He's. I thank God that I baptized none of you. I thank God that none of you were my followers. None of you I baptized. Except Crispus and Gaius. So that no one would say that you were baptized in my name. Let me not be your stumbling block. It's normally right about around this part of the journey where I tend to lose people. Where this message tends to bounce off our hearts, our hardened hearts. Right? It's normally around this part of the message that people tend to get off the train. Can't deal with that. I disagree with you. I disagree with Scripture. Can't do it. We either can't handle it or we are so indoctrinated by another group's ideology that we just can't bear the thought of separation. It's almost like you're losing a piece of yourself. However, as we read in verse 10, and as verses 11 through 15 corroborate, we as a church can't be divided. But rather we must be united. And finally, we must recalibrate our loyalties because God is all about exclusivity. I mean, the Bible says it over and over. He is a jealous God. We've got to remember that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So the second step of making disciples of nations is to recalibrate your loyalties. And if you're able to get over the hurdle of step two, it's a big ask. It's a lot. It's major, major key, right? Um, it's a big ask. And, and may, it may be a lifelong struggle, but nevertheless, a necessity. We will then come to step three. Can't go to step three without step two. You can't bypass it. We try to do it often. You can't skip one, step one to go to step two. You can't skip one and two to go to step three. You can't do it. There's an order to things, right? So if you can overstep if you can get over step 2, we will then come to step 3 which nicely rests on the foundation of being enriched and exclusively subscribing to God's party. So step 3 is to actually start speaking the gospel. That that in itself, I mean, it starts to become easy. It doesn't start, it's no longer daunting because you've gone through this process where you are now being made ready. You are being prepared. The word has washed over you. Have, you have communed with God. You have, you have everything you do is him. You subscribe to his party exclusively. You believe in nothing else but him and his word and his truths. So then when talking about it, it becomes easier because it's as though you were talking about yourself. It's as though someone was saying, Hey, what's your name? And hey, my name is Lantu. Hey, my name is Richard. Hey, my name is Henry. It's that easy. It starts to become easier if you go through step one and step two. Step three is actually starting to preach the gospel. Looking at verses, looking at verse 17 and going down to 21. Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness. That's kind of strange, right? We'll get to that. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Preaching Christ's message and his sacrifice is foolishness to those who don't believe. But power to those who do. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now that we are finally primed and ready to speak out God's word, we must also be ready for the fear and insecurities that could hinder, halt, or cause us to run in the other direction. Often what stops us from preaching the word of God is because we believe the world's narrative that our God's story is not what it's, all, what it's made out to be. We allow the world to insert doubt in our belief. We get mixed up in the wisdom of people who justify their beliefs and equate it to a reality while dismissing our beliefs and chalking it up to fiction. We often are sometimes made to feel foolish or unwise by people we talk to. And it's often that we buy into their reality. We give way to their words and their wisdom and their guidance and their interpretation of Scripture. You see, God is counterintuitive in everything that he does. What seems wise to men is often foolish to God. What seems foolish to men is often God's wisdom at work. Christ our Savior was born poor, yet he's called a king. The world says revenge can be justified, yet God says love those who hate you. The world says be a leader, God says be my follower. The world says take care of your own, God says in addition to everyone else. The world says first place is best, God says the last is my favorite. The world picks the strong to do battle, Goliath. God picks a child. He picks the weak. He picks the unobvious choice. You see, God is not of this world. His word is not of this world. His wisdom is not of this world. His love is not of this world. As a matter of fact, I would say God is absolutely out of this world. In verse 21, it states that God was well pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. To save those who are primed and ready. To save those who are willing to listen. He is well pleased by the stupidity that is coming out of your mouth. Because what is stupid to this world, God is like, that's it. That's where I'm at. Yeah, Christ died for you and he resurrected, he defeated death. That sounds ridiculous. But God's like, that's where it's at. That is salvation. Accepting of that message. Asking of Christ to be in you. Following after him. That's it. You see, what may feel, seem, and possibly sound foolish is in actuality wiser than anything else being spoken on earth. 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen... To be counterintuitive, he has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things, the average things, the bottom things, the the basic stuff of the world, and the despised, the hated, the chastised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that men may not boast before God. But by doing, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts Boasts only in the Lord. As we sit here today, know that you are enough. Because He has made you enough. You don't have to be great in this world to be chosen by God. As a matter of fact, Scripture represents that. Scripture actually says the opposite. Does that mean you have to be satisfied? with where you are, and you shouldn't try to improve? Absolutely not. But maybe the way you approach getting better should change. Your methodology should shift. Maybe it's not about finding fulfillment in another person. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a child. Maybe it's not about... Growing a multi-million dollar business. Maybe it's not about traveling the world to experience other cultures. Maybe it's not about reading self-help books. Maybe it's not about getting your friend's opinion on the direction of your life. Maybe it's not overthinking and justifying your actions and thoughts. Maybe it's not about what you've been doing. Instead maybe getting better is more about embracing the idea of being counterintuitive. Maybe it's about being dubbed foolish. Maybe it's about being rebellious. Maybe it's about being an activist for his kingdom. Maybe it's about being about seeking the deeper meaning of his word, not just reading it on the surface. Maybe it's about shaking off the, pol- the political party we subscribe to and signing up for the kingdom party that we should be in. Maybe it's about giving more than we receive. Maybe it's about embracing weakness as strength, foolishness as wisdom, fear as courage, poor as rich, last as first. Because God is present in the weak. He is present with the foolish. He is present with the poor. He is present with the last. So that you may not boast, but that you may boast in him. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In all that we do, in every step, to spread his gospel. And we'll end with this. A reminder of the three steps. Remember to be enriched by God. Recalibrate your loyalties. And preach the word as though you were a fool for his kingdom. Because it is in your foolishness of the message you speak that serves those who believe. That will put a smile on on God's face. Amen? Amen, Amen guys. Amen. How are you guys feeling? Ooh, Encouraged? A little heavy? A little beaten up? A little sad? Like, man, so what? Like when the political mailer comes in, do it. like, what do I do? There's no checkbox for kingdom ministry. You know? It's okay. We'll shake it off. Remember today's message. So, we're going to transition into a time of communion. I believe the worship team is going to come up to play a little something, or possibly not. Nope, no worship team. Um, but there will be some music in the background. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to enter a time of communion, and we're going to do it a little differently. Uh, for those who were here um, last time I spoke, I, or a few times actually, so more than a year ago. Um, we, we did it different than the norm.